Welcome to the AEM Education and Training Podcast from the Society of Academic Emergency Medicine and the AEM Education and Training Journal. I'm your host, Dr. Gita Pensa, and this is what we've got for you today. You may have been hearing more and more about coaching these days, and if you're curious to learn about it, we've got a treat for you today. We're talking about a new article in AEM Education and Training called Coaching Models, Theories, and Structures, an overview for teaching faculty in the emergency department and educators in the offices. I have lead author, Dr. Nicole Diorio, with me here to discuss it. Dr. Diorio is Professor of Emergency Medicine and Associate Dean of Student Affairs at Virginia Commonwealth University, where she has created and runs the academic coaching program for undergraduate medical education. She is the author of research publications and educational materials on academic coaching, including the AMA textbook and stimulus videos in their suite of coaching materials. She herself is a certified leadership coach, and we are so excited to hear from her today. Don't forget to read the full text of this article available from the publisher Open Access for a limited time. Dr. Diorio, thank you for coming on the podcast. It's so great to have you here. Thanks. It's really great to be here. Um, I'm really glad that coaching seems to be something that more and more people want to read about. And I appreciate you getting these ideas out there through the podcast. Yeah, well, I want to get into the meat of it. I also want to tell the listeners that this is actually really fun for me because uh, Nicole and I were in residency together. Yep, that's right. She was ahead of me and I looked up to her greatly. So, Oh, you're very <laughs> kind. Go GW. All right. So back to the matter at hand, your awesome paper on coaching. I'm going to read a few quotes from your paper. Okay. And then I, then we're going to sort of launch into it. So for people who are the uninitiated in terms of coaching. So here's one. Coaching is rapidly advancing in medical education as a relational process of facilitating sustainable change and growth. Number two. The coaching process generates self-awareness, discovery, and self-determination in contrast to mentoring, which focuses more on guiding and advising. And then the third excerpt here is coaches work with coaches to articulate and affirm a coachee's personal vision, values, meaning, or purpose. They help coaches improve self-awareness and evaluate strengths, skills, and performance via review of objective assessments. Coaches help coaches identify opportunities for change and development, create and evolve plans and goals, and provide accountability. And finally, coaches create a partnership of trust and respect, building an alliance with a coachee. So that sounds pretty awesome. Yeah, I think so too. <laughs> so I, I think a lot of us uh, have heard of coaching, at least tangentially, life coaching, relationship coaching, mm -hmm. burnout coaching, well-being coaching, et cetera. Uh, and we're also hearing more about physicians who are offering their services as coaches. Mm -hmm. uh, but many of us, I think, do have outdated or just incorrect notions of what coaching is. You and I were joking ahead of, of the show. I was saying that, uh, you know, my husband and I was like, I, you know, my husband thinks it's all just psychobabble. He's a physician. Too. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. But I am totally on board. Yeah. So let's start with what coaching is. Um, and we read those quotes, but as opposed to advising, mentoring, counseling, teaching, where does coaching fit in with this framework in medical education? Yes, um, I think it's really important to start with sort of a shared mental model because it is unfamiliar to a lot of physicians who might be like your husband or might be only used to hearing about it in the business world. 
or maybe are just familiar with physicians who are required to get coaching because they've had some instances of unprofessional <laughs> behavior. Um, and all of those exist, but coaching in its purest form can really help anybody, including any physician, because of the domains that you just described that make great coaching conversations. Um, I do feel like as physicians, it's a little bit more difficult to wrap our heads around it as well, because in the sort of medical tradition, we've been so much more exposed to advising and mentoring, and we kind of default to that um, in a lot of our relationships. So the way I sort of conceptualize the difference is in advising, the advisee is going to the advisor with a question. The advisor needs to know the answer. They need to have expertise in the topic. And um, it's a very sort of unidirectional communication. Mm -hmm. A mentor has a little bit more of the mm, interpersonal relationship um longitudinal component to it like coaching. But mm -hmm. if you think about a mentor still needs to have had some like lived experience or expertise in the domain that would help the mentee. Um, mm -hmm. The mentor is often a role model for the mentee, right? And so it requires sort of a certain set of experiences to be relevant. Mm -hmm. Now, coaching is entirely different. And I just want to say, I don't think coaching should supplant any of these other relationships as well, but they just add a different layer to ways that folks can get support. In coaching, really the, the underlying philosophy is that the coachee is the expert in knowing what the coachee needs. And it's the coach's job to provide a relationship um, and a setting where they ask a lot of provocative questions to sort of draw the issues and the solutions out of the coachee. A really good coach doesn't need to know anything at all about, um, in this case, physicians or residents or students' lives if they're good at setting up the relationship, mm -hmm. asking questions, reflecting back, and listening. So you know in your paper that coaching and academics has really taken off uh -huh. in the last few years, and there are some highly structured programs that use certified coaches. And then there are educators who just want to incorporate coaching tools into their everyday teaching and interaction with trainees. And so this paper speaks to the latter, but your author group is comprised of highly experienced coaching mm -hmm. educators who have, you know, they've all trained as coaches and have created coaching programs or have advanced certification and leadership roles in a national coaching organization. So tell us, tell me about your author group. I sense that there is, a, you know, a story about your shared experiences and your training and coaching and how did this collaboration come to be? Yeah, thanks for asking. So we actually all uh, came together, not having known one another really beforehand, in planning for a conference in 2018, I believe, through a group at the American Medical Association, who's really started to embrace coaching um, as, as one of their focus areas. And I've been really fortunate to be able to be involved in a lot of their initiatives and, and work, and they've supported my work as well. So we all came together to plan um, what was at the time the first conference that I knew about, about applying coaching in medical education. And 
to your point about, uh, you know, sort of the skills and composition of the group, mm-hmm. um, we were looking for folks who were, at the time, there really weren't um, experts in coaching and medical education, right? We had, we were experts in medical education, we had career leadership coaches, um, and so our goal was really to bring all these different stakeholders uh, together to create mm-hmm. a better understanding about how coaching can be implied in medicine. And one thing we realized that is that if we want to make coaching appealing to folks in medical education roles or in medicine, that really people needed to understand these basic sort of frameworks and tools and things that we talk about in coaching. And that was where this paper germ um, developed from. We really wanted to have sort of a, a primer for folks who wanted to get started knowing the basics. So this is actually a great primer for people, I think. And so you review uh, several coaching models. And so I'm just going to I'm gonna list them, but then we're going to get into the meat of a few of them in a, in a second. So you go through acceptance and commitment coaching, appreciative inquiry, cognitive behavioral coaching, decisional balance, emotional intelligence techniques, the GROW, G-R-O-W model, which is four-step inquiry, uh, health and wellness coaching, the immunity to change model, the intentional change model, motivational interviewing, nonviolent communication, and role play techniques, which is a lot. (laughs) It's a lot to cover in a paper, let alone a podcast. So I thought that we would just pick three uh, circumstances that educators might run into that you illustrate in your paper. And you can guide us through the coaching techniques that an educator, that an educator might employ. How does that sound? Okay. Sounds great. Okay. So here's the, we're going to do three. So circumstance one, Mm -hmm. a student Avoid signing up for unstable patients because she's afraid she will make a mistake. Okay. So this is interesting because one of the powerful reasons that coaching works is that even just having someone articulate the issues out loud can lead to sort of a new understanding or or, or perception of the issues for the person. So mm-hmm. I've always said that even the worst coach in the world can be um, (laughs) effective if they just sit there and listen to the person, Mm -hmm. uh, the person talk, right? Because- Well, there is um, the matter of asking the right questions, but yes. (laughs) Well, yeah. Okay. Yes. No, I don't mean to um, demean coaches who have devoted years of training and practice to this profession, Um, but just this, this highlights the benefit of just creating a space to- to talk about something and supporting someone in articulating emotions that they would not have otherwise expressed out loud. And then the coach can mirror that. So um, one of the most basic models um, that could be applicable here is something called decisional balance. And it's essentially a sort of a, a pros and cons matrix. So if you might want to try this on your husband. It's not woo-woo at all. It's very straightforward. There's a table, so it feels scientific. Um, and basically, you just compare and contrast the, the benefits and the cons of either making a change or not changing at all into sort of a two-by-two table. So if this, this student maybe is a little... Um, hesitant to engage in something like coaching, this is a great introductory technique um, because it feels pretty 
simple. It doesn't require a lot of skill on the faculty members' um, part to implement this. But again, it can force them to address attention to the issue um, and sort of articulate. So maybe the student um, will get to the understanding that they're afraid to make a mistake in these um, in these situations, but that the benefits of making a change would be that they're not going to grow otherwise, for example. Mm-hmm. So that's a great starter technique. The other concept I want to introduce sort of earlier in this podcast rather than later is something called appreciative inquiry, which I feel like is the foundation of all coaching. Mm-hmm. Um, and an appreciative inquiry, I guess it can be pretty self-explanatory. So you want to emphasize that you're using inquiry, right? As the coach, you're asking more questions than you are telling. You're sort of coming from a place of just curiosity about the situation that the the learner is in. Mm-hmm. And the appreciative part of appreciative inquiry means that with this technique, we're asking questions that ask the learner about not just what their strengths are, so appreciating their strengths and how they could possibly use their strengths to get to the next level in this challenging situation. But you also want to use sort of the positive psychology visioning of imagining the ideal state and then working Mm -hmm. backwards to get to there. So all that is to say, sorry, I'm getting super fired up, as you can tell, because I love (laughs) love talking about it a lot. But again, in contrast to like us in medicine, uh, typically we want to like come in and what's the problem and solve the problem and diagnose it and apply, you know, our prescription or treatment plan. But really with coaching, we want to flip that on our head and start with like, what's the dream or ideal state first and think about how the learner can use what they're already doing well to get to that ideal situation. I love it. All right. Let's move on to a fellow who is upset by evaluations and the evaluations state that they are not a team player. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So in that situation, I can imagine that there would be a lot of emotions that have to be sort of processed first um, mm-hmm. before you get to maybe helping them make an action plan. And I want to be careful to make the distinction that coaching isn't therapy, right? Mm-hmm. We're not asking folks to apply therapeutic principles um, or go outside their you know professional boundaries at all. Right. But the technique of acceptance and commitment coaching can help sort of deal with the potential negative emotions first and get people through to, you know, maybe some more productive activity. So it's it's human nature that people don't want to deal with discomfort, right? But going back to what we were talking about before, if a coach can at least help somebody talk about the discomfort or name the discomfort, just naming something can really help defuse the the continued negative emotions. Another way that coaching can be really powerful in this situation, but overall, is to really help people clarify their core values and naming those and having those clear in their mind can help them sort of soldier forth with choices and actions that are clear to, true to their values. So all of that is sort of wrapped up into acceptance and commitment coaching. So if you're interested in learning more about this or any other techniques, uh, we have some resources in the paper. But for folks who come in a little bit sort of fired up about some feedback that they've gotten and need to process that first, this is something that can be a helpful framework. 
Yeah. And this in particular sounds like it's not like a single conversation. There's some processing that has to happen and some acceptance that has to happen and then moving towards other actions. That's a really good point. Coaching techniques can be used in the moment for one-time conversations, but it really works best if there's sort of a lot more longitudinal trusted relationship too. And again, time to digest uh, in between the sessions for the coachee. That's a great point. Just out of curiosity, do you do you tell the fellow or student that you are coaching them or do you just say, we're going to meet and I'm going to talk to you about these things? Hmm. For me, I'm such a nut about uh, kind of differentiating coaching from advising that I'll often talk to people who just sort of drop in with me. Like, what do you, what do you want from this conversation? What do you, what do you want me to be for you? Do you just want me to support? Do you want advice? Whatever. So I personally would probably tell the learner that, but um, I don't think there's any magic that happens in, in telling them I'm coaching you right now. Mm. If you just want to <laughs> deploy these, um, these questions either. That's a good, that's a good question to think about. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about our third circumstance here, which is um, a trainee who had a patient unexpectedly die from an unrecognized PE and now is jumping to premature closure for patients with dyspnea. It's just saying everybody has a PE. You have a PE, you have a PE, you have a PE. Yeah. So. Presuming that this is separate from them working through the, you know, emotional reaction of that um, sort of sentinel um, patient, and you're maybe working with them a little bit after after the fact, after seeing some feedback um, about the premature closure, um, this could be a place where you use the GROW model, um, which, again, taps into some of these appreciative inquiry concepts, but in a more tangible, less woo-woo way, there's an acronym. So, you know, that's appealing to a lot of people, (laughs) but um, let me explain each step. So GROW is goal, reality, obstacles, and way forward. So particularly if someone maybe is resistant to a conversation, or maybe not this, I feel like works for all kinds of folks, is to use the first part of the conversation to get on board with, you know, what's the kind of physician you want to be? What's the kind of diagnostician you want to be? What's your personal sort of style that you want to have in the emergency department? Do you know if you're always going to be sort of conservative um, and risk averse and you want to embrace that? Think about what's your overarching vision for yourself. What what is your goal for the kind of emergency position you want to be? Because most people, even if they haven't thought about that in so many words, will have that picture about themselves. And if it's based in their kind of identity, uh, I think it's a little more powerful to tap into, if that makes sense. When you're linking conversations to people's sort of core values, it becomes a little more powerful and meaningful for them. So identifying their goal first. The reality then allows you to introduce, "Mm, I'm looking at your semi-annual evaluations, um, or I've heard your your own self-reflections that now you tend to prematurely close, which is a normal sort of cognitive error when these things happen, but that's the reality. And then hopefully you get some buy-in about 
yes, that's the reality. There's no debate about that because it's reality. The next step is identifying what's getting in the way of them making the reality into their goal, right? So hopefully this might lead to some conversations around them saying, well, you know, I just don't want to miss a PE or everyone has a PE. You have a PE, you have a PE. Mm -hmm. And so I noticed that that's coming up um, in my thought process anytime I see someone with a shortness of breath. Articulating that obstacle, that moment when sort of the diagnosis of PE is is triggered and bringing that into sort of the visible and the disgust is the next step. And then that allows you to help them set goals, right? So every time I feel tempted to include PE on my diagnosis, I am going to stop and XYZ. Or every time I'm evaluating a patient with shortness of breath, I now know I have this tendency, so I'm going to pause and do XYZ. Z. Working through that thought process, it's really increases the chance that their plan is going to happen. All right. I really like that. And a lot of these techniques are, how do I say, simple, but not easy. Mm. <laughs> I guess like that seems like a pretty simple framework, but a lot of uh, learners, when you present that to them, uh, haven't really done any exercise in self-awareness or metacognition, like thinking about how they think. Uh, and so it's pretty amazing what can open up uh, when you talk to people using those frameworks. That might be another argument for telling people that you are about to use coaching techniques, because it will probably feel kind of unfamiliar to the learner. And um, people need a little bit of practice in being a coachee also, mm -hmm. right? Um, it's going to feel very strange to have a conversation with their supervisor and the supervisor isn't going to be telling them what to do. So priming people that this conversation might feel a little bit uh, different or uncomfortable is, is good practice. Yeah, I like that. Um, okay, so your paper, I think it's a great place to start for an educator who's interested in getting starting with learning about coaching. So do you have other favorite resources for next steps? If someone, if someone doesn't want to get formal certification, but how might they put together their own coaching toolkit? Yeah, there are a lot of resources. And so this these are my own personal favorites. Um, I wish I had more podcasts to recommend. Um, mm. And I do not. Um, so maybe this just says more about my age or generation. Um, but <laughs> I, these are books. <laughs> Although you can buy them in a digital format or probably listen to them as audiobooks, which is like a podcast, right? <laughs> so for me, I have to say one of my favorites is Coaching as a Leadership Style by Robert Hicks. Um, it's very readable. Um, the lens is you're a leader and you're using um, coaching uh, for people that you supervise and give feedback to. Um, but the, the, it's sort of peppered with different um, mock conversations and, and case studies. Um, but it is very accessible and uh, easy to imagine using this in any situation, like with learners, for example. Um, mm. My family members accuse me of coaching them and if they're not wrong <laughs> they're See, learning right I, through it I think there might be like there might be some value in stealth coaching yes <laughs> yes <certain> situations <laughs> yeah so that's a favorite um I like the coaching habit by Michael Stanier again very very easy to read this 
helps you sort of not just um, identify some really powerful, easy coaching questions that you can try out, but there's also a little bit, if you want to sort of coach yourself, there's some thought-provoking questions that you can fill in yourself. There's some elements of like a workbook. Um, I like Coaching Skills by Jenny Rogers. Um, And then if you want to go a little bit deeper, um, I think many people have probably heard of Strengths Finder. So Strengths Finder 2.0 by Tom Rath is one edition Mm-hmm. that I have. And again, lots of lots of example conversations. Um, and again, I like how this emphasizes that you want to help people identify their own strengths so they can lean on those to solve problems rather than jumping to like, what's wrong with you and let's patch that up. And then lastly, for real nerds, um, one of the <laughs> sort of um, seminal books is called Immunity to Change by Keegan and Leahy. And so that's a little bit longer um, and denser, but it is great. Um, and it really gets to some of the underlying coaching philosophies. So that's my reading list. All right. I, I love it. Fabulous. So what's next for coaching in medical education? Like, does your, does your author team have anything in the works? Um, yeah, thanks for asking. So I feel like there's a big gap, not just in medical education, but in the broader coaching literature around, tools and evidence, knowing that coaching is happening and that it works. So we're working on a few things. So developing competencies for coaching, we were just able to publish um, some work around that, but um, developing tools to help people who run coaching programs or even just use coaching techniques to, to be able to evaluate the program of coaching and know that coaching is happening. Mm-hmm. The Holy Grail is showing how coaching changes learners. So again, developing tools to understand that and prove that it works. I suspect your husband might be someone who wants to like see the evidence about coaching. And so <laughs> <laughs> we need to fill that literature gap as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then something else that I feel really strongly about is creating more of a structured community of practice of folks who are interested in applying coaching in med ed and ways to sort of support us and um, keep us together and be able to talk about the shared interest. All right. I love it. Thank you so much for coming to talk about this paper and for writing the paper. I think it's going to be very helpful. I will make my husband listen to this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Great. And uh, it's great to talk to you. Yes, I've really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great to talk. Thanks for listening to this month's AEM Early Access. Subscribe to this podcast on iTunes at AEM Early Access, all one word. Don't forget to read the full text of this article, available open access from the Academic Emergency Medicine Journal for a limited time. Today's music is by Scott Holmes. I'm Gita Pensa, and we'll see you next time.